we have been doing a sermon series for the past 10 weeks. This is Mark's question number 10. And rather than take a, a week off or a Sunday off from our sermon series, we actually had a question that was incorporated that, that, was, uh, that pertained to Christmas. And so the question is, in case you can't read it, it's a little dark, which is more important, Christmas or Easter? You'll notice up here in the graphic we've got the cross, we've got the star. And so which is it? Which is more important, Christmas or Easter? We're going to attempt to answer that question. Um, it's actually a very simple answer with a whole lot of explanation, but but really what we're going to get into is is the purpose of Christmas. So I'm not big on fluff, warm fluff. I mean, I like fluff, like regular fluff, but I mean like fluffing things up, warm fuzzies. Like I don't need a lot of inspirational movies. I want the meat and potatoes of the truth. Just give me the truth. And so if you've come to church today hoping for a warm, fuzzy, inspirational message, you're going to be dissatisfied in that regard. But what I'm hoping is that today you will hear the truth of Jesus Christ proclaimed, and it will change everything about you. It will wreck your life in the best way possible, because you will meet Jesus. You won't be told about Jesus. You won't have an idea about Jesus, but you will meet him today. You will be born Again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must have happened before you enter the kingdom of heaven to be born again. And you probably have questions just like Nicodemus did. How does that happen? How do I go back into my mother's womb? Jesus was not talking about that type of birth. He was talking about spiritual birth. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading out of the, the New Living Translation today. Um, it's a very good reader-friendly translation. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 is probably not usually preached on a Christmas uh, morning or on a during a Christmas service. But this particular verse is all about Jesus and his birth. Chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 4, says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See, Jesus, when he was born, to Mary and to his stepdad Joseph, when he was born, it was not by accident. It was not coincidental, the timing in which everything took place. He was born at a specific time for a specific reason. It was not a man who was born and became very good. Thus, he can teach us a very good example. Jesus was good and Jesus did have a good example, but he came from more than that. Jesus came to this earth because in and of ourselves, and this is going to rock your world today, this is going to be a hard truth to, to understand, but in and of yourself, apart from God, you are not one of his children. And so in our, in our culture, in our day and age, what is preached and taught, whether through media or through our, just our culture in general, is that we're all God's children. 
And what they're what their point they're trying to get to is that we're all equal. Now that is true. We are all equal. But the Bible says that before we know Jesus, we are all equal sinners. That because of sin that we have inherited from Adam and Eve, and because of sin that we commit, now just be honest with yourself. Don't don't sugarcoat this today. Don't compare your sin to somebody else's sin. Just be honest with yourself. Have a moment of clarity. You know what? That that I did, that was bad. If we're going to define things by good and bad, that was bad. That was stealing. That was lying. That was cheating. That was adultery. That was murdering. I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus said that, that murder starts in the heart. That before you, you ever murder somebody, the intent, the hatred begins right here in the seat of who we are. And so if we've had hatred towards other people, we are guilty. Yeah, but it was justified. They did this. I understand that. But hatred, understand the danger of hatred. Well, I haven't committed adultery against my wife. Um, but have you lusted after another woman? Jesus said that's where, that's where adultery begins. We live in a day and a culture where pornography is not just accepted, but it's celebrated. And I would tell you that that's as much adultery as anything else. And so, so, so let's not sugarcoat anything. We are all before God equal sinners. Don't elevate sin. Don't say, well, my sin is not as bad as that person's sin. No, sin is sin. It's black and white. I've either sinned or I have not. And in the, in the, in the I have not category, you have Jesus. And we're all in the other category. All of us equal before God in that way. This creates, the Bible says, enmity between us and God. War, hostility. See, before we know Jesus, things aren't peachy between us and, and God. There's war between us. There's a gap. There's a chasm that, that has not been bridged. We're not just naturally his children. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Here's the good news of the Christmas story. Here's the good news of what the Bible preaches to us. That though there is war between us, though we, though we are guilty of our sin, and, though, and, and even though God would be just in punishing us for that sin, Jesus was born so that he might live to die, so that we might, in believing in his death and life, might have life as well. That the war between us and God, the enmity, the hostility, would not just be pushed aside, brushed aside and forgotten, but would be satisfied. In Jesus coming in the form of a man, to live a sinless life, God took upon himself humanity. Jesus wasn't just a good guy or a good teacher or even just a holy man. He was every bit God. The Bible says that he emptied himself of, of certain things. You know, he wasn't like he wasn't like Superman underneath, you know, lifting up heavy things, saying, Look how strong I am as a human, when in reality he has a supernatural power. The Bible says he emptied himself of those things to accomplish the will of his Father. So that he might live a sinless life. So that he might present himself as a, a sinless, perfect sacrifice. And that all begins with his, him coming to this earth, to us. Not as some big, pompous king. 
not with pageantry and royalty, not with robes flowing, but in a tiny manger, in, in, in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling cloths, to a, to a mom who was probably in her teens, to, to a mom who was already talked about, who already had a reputation because, of course, she was impregnated by, by God. She couldn't have done it any other way. She was already accused. Later on when Jesus grows up, the Pharisees make these jokes. They, 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 they call into question the fidelity of his mom. They tell him, at least we know who our father is. I don't know about you, but, but when somebody says things that, like that about your mom, especially when you know that they're not true, I mean, Jesus came in that way. He didn't come and float on a cloud in front of us. He lived, a, he was a carpenter just like his stepdad. If you're a contractor and your hands are rough and you've hit your thumb and you've got scars, I mean, that's, those were the hands of Jesus. That's the kind of guy that he was. He wasn't white collar, he was blue collar. He, he, he came for, for every man, but especially the common man. For the everyday guy. For the 50 hour a week guy. I mean, he came to die for everybody. Not just for the elite, not just for, just, not just for certain people, but for every person. First Peter says, that it's not God's will that anyone should perish, that he's long-suffering, waiting for people to call upon him to be saved. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read through a couple of narratives from the, the, the birth of Christ. Uh, Matthew and Luke are the only two Gospels that deal with the actual birth of Christ. Um... Luke is a little more in-depth. Luke uh, was investigating the whole story for a man named uh, Theophilus. Uh, and uh, so he, he went through and, and conducted interviews and talked to Mary and, and talked to the disciples and, and asked them about what happened. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus... That means they were engaged. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Since they were not married, they did not have sex. And because they did not have sex, they could not have a child. Okay, everybody got the math on that. Okay, we're good. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph could have made an example of her. He could have had her stoned to death. And nobody would have batted an eye. Because he could have just simply said, you have committed adultery. Even, even in just being engaged, you have broken the, the marital vows that we have begun. And Joseph, Joseph wasn't like that. He said, you know what? I, I care for this woman. Imagine the hurt, the sense of betrayal. If you've ever been in that place, Joseph was in that place. Though, though that's not what happened. For a moment, for a time, that's what he felt. And he was going to... to Divorce her quietly because he still loved her, though he felt betrayed. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken uh, by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Don't overlook this and become spiritual. Some people are very, it's very popular today. Well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I'm not, I don't like to go to church, but I believe in, in, in the spiritual realm, okay? The spiritual realm is very much a true and real thing. But there are such a things as clean spirits and unclean spirits. The unclean we call the demonic, and the clean generally is just uh, the Holy Spirit and and angels that are in the service of God. For Joseph, in his sleep, an angel comes and speaks to him and tells him, "Look, no, you haven't you haven't been betrayed by your young wife." <clears throat> Most experts agree that Mary was very young, possibly even as young as twelve or thirteen. I don't know about you, but when I was 12 and 13, to, to imagine God entrusting me with his son, that's a big responsibility. Like, my parents wouldn't even let me stay at home alone. You know, it's, But she could carry the, the son of God in her womb. That's, that's intense. But an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Joseph. Know this, that that is not outside the realm of God's power if you need something. It's not a guarantee that God will do that, as some will preach and profess, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. Okay, God may, in your deepest, darkest time of need, send an angel to speak to you, to assure you, to quicken you. Satan will do the same, but he will do so in the demonic. And so you have to become a person who can discern between spirits who can discern between what is being told that is good and right and of the Lord and what is what is not what is evil what is meant for your destruction and and for the betrayal of Jesus so we have sort of Joseph's background and Mary and what she's going through and and the angel of the Lord now turn to Luke chapter 2 verse 8 now <clears throat> Those of you who don't know, as you're turning there, Luke chapter uh, chapter two verse eight. Uh, uh, pastor means shepherd. I am the pastor of South Bay Chapel. That means shepherd. Um, shepherds lead sheep. Okay. Um, I'm not referring to you as sheep any more than the Bible already does. He refers to us all as sheep. The Bible talks about us being sheep without a shepherd. Um, that Jesus is the, the, the gate in which the sheep enter. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. What it, what, it re, what it tells me and what it tells us is that, you know, if you've ever seen a sheep, they're very helpless, aren't they? They don't have, you know, razor-sharp talons or teeth. They're not incredibly quick. They're not, you know, they're not incredibly bright. There's one thing they can do really well. That's cry out. That's their one, that's their go-to defense because they find themselves wandering from the flock every now and again and i think that describes us pretty well that that we are very powerless but we have this ability to cry out to the lord well when jesus is born these angels visit a group of shepherds 
And in this day and in this time, not uncommon from today, shepherds were not the, the go-to profession of the people. You didn't grow up wanting to be a shepherd. You grew up hoping that you didn't become a shepherd like your dad, that you could get out of that trade somehow. Oh, let me be a carpenter or a plumber or a television repairman. Let me be anything but a, a shepherd. I don't want to walk around all of my days with 30 or 40 stinky, smelly sheep just all the time. And, and, and on top of that, fighting off wolves and bears and lions like David did as a young shepherd boy. Just please let me have a better profession than this. <clears throat> if you need evidence that God is not just for the elite, that he is for all people, notice that he sends angels to these shepherds, to these men who probably were not regarded, that were probably not highly esteemed. When they came into the diner, everybody was like, here they come, they smell, I can't even eat my food anymore. Like, these guys were not invited to the church potluck for that specific reason, because even when they bathed, they still kind of smelled like sheep. But these are the men that God sends the angels to, to declare the birth of Jesus. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, as you would probably be too, by the way. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on, and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them in, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby, uh, and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. You know, the Bible narrative, the Bible story is so much more than just Jesus was born in a manger and it's cute and we put it in our front yard. Try to insert yourself into that story. You're, it's late at night and you're watching over your sheep. You're watching for predators. And then all of a sudden the sky lights up. Brighter than daytime. Angels coming out of nowhere. And they're singing. And they're proclaiming the birth of Jesus. And you're just this shepherd saying, my gosh, what is happening? And they tell you, go. You will see this baby. And so they go. And they find everything as though the angels had said. And they rejoice. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can Google it. It's in there somewhere. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Our our belief is, is based on faith we trust in Jesus but there's also an experiential element to it that when we when we place our life into Jesus we begin to see 
tan feel tangible things. We don't just simply make a decision, okay, we're just going to walk with Jesus no matter what. We begin to see Christ in different ways and in different forms. We begin to see him. We be, I know for me personally, I've looked back on my life and I've seen him save me. I've seen him do things when I was five years old that, that I thought were just circumstance. And now I realize that was, that was Jesus saving me. That was him guiding me and directing me. The Bible story, the, 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 the Christmas story is a story about liberation and freedom and, 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 and breaking the shackles that sin, Satan, and death have on us. We all have them. We were born with them, and then as we grew up, we began putting more shackles on us. We inherited sin from our fathers and our forefathers, but then we went and we sinned on our own. We, we've all done the things. We've all... We've all tarried too long in something that was detrimental for us and our family. We know that. But rather than just saying, oh, I don't want anything to do with those people. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll punish them because I have a right to. God decides to be with us. When we become a Christian, it's a very simple process that will consume your whole life. I asked my son the other day, he said something about being a Christian, and, I, and just, I asked him, what does that mean? What does it mean that you're a Christian? And I was prepared for, I go to church, my dad's a pastor, I have a Bible. That's how a lot of people define Christianity. Here's what he said, at seven years old, it's this simple, I love Jesus. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because your parents were. You're not a Christian because there's a pastor in your family. You're not a Christian because you have a Bible or because you've even read the Bible. You could have read it cover from cover. That does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is loving Christ and putting your faith in Him. So which is more important, Christmas or Easter? Here's the answer. Yes. Which is more important? You have to have them both. Without Christmas, you have no Easter. Without Easter, you have no faith. You have to have both. You need the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. You can believe in his birth all day long. But without believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have nothing. When you understand the death, burial, and resurrection, you go back and you see, oh, the birth, that was just as important. It was prophesied. It was foretold that he'd be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he would be born at a certain time. Very specific prophecies that came into play when Jesus was born. Not by circumstance, not just coincidentally, but he was literally born at the perfect time so that we could know God again. Today, I don't come to give you a new series of rules, a new series of things to do to try to please God. I've come to proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus that you might know God himself and live empowered by his Holy Spirit all the days of your life. And then one day you will cross from this life into the next. You will die a physical death, but you will not die an eternal death. C.S. Lewis put it this way. And I'll paraphrase. 
That if, that if I have a feeling of eternity in me, a yearning for another place, my only conclusion is that there is another place. That there is some place else that I am desiring. That place is not just a place. That place is a person, and that person is Jesus. And today I'm hoping that you are awakened. That, that life goes from being hopeless and dark and perpetually going wrong for you that that like that like a child that's adopted by a mom and dad you could be adopted into the family of God today can you think of any better scenario any better analogy that God could use that could express more love i don't know if you've ever met an orphan or a fatherless or motherless child but when you meet them when they're adults, they generally have some issues, don't they? I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not saying that they're, they're wrong or evil or anything like that. What I'm saying is they have a lot of hurt and pain that was caused to them because they were abandoned as a child. And they might try to put up a front and they might try to be tough in front of people, but deep down inside they are hurting. And Jesus uses that picture of a father coming to an orphanage and adopting a child, taking that child and not making them a slave, not making them a servant, but bringing them in as his own child. See, this is how we go from being not children of God to children of God. If you desire to be a child of God today, put your faith in Jesus. Outside of that, we are not children. The Bible says in Romans 8.1 that there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The reverse of that is just as true. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, condemnation hangs over our heads. Some of you got into faith with Jesus as fire insurance. You just don't want to go to hell. I don't blame you. What little I know about it, it doesn't sound like a great place. It sounds like it lasts a long time, it's very hot, and it doesn't sound like everybody's having a picnic. It sounds bad. But husbands, true or false, if your wife asked you why you married me and you said, I don't want to be single, how many of you would have wives that would probably question, at the very least, why they married you? Why did you marry me? Because I don't know where my underwear are. Why did you marry me? Well, because you make a lot of money. Why did you marry me? Because I love you. That's the right answer, man, number one. Yeah, marriage counseling 101 on Christmas. I married you because I love you. End of story. Um, And give her a card. But flowers would be better. Diamonds are even better. I'm I'm going to get a lot of points with the ladies here today. That's not good. Dan, edit that all out. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, my point is this. Entering into a relationship with Jesus is, is similar. It's not the same, but it is similar to entering into a relationship between a husband and a wife. That they come together not out of obligation. They come together not because, not even because they meet each other's needs, but because there's love. And some of you don't, don't know how much Jesus loves you. you. You know that he does. I mean, you know that Jesus loves you in the same way that you know that the sun rises. 
You know that Jesus loves you in the same way that your favorite television program will be on on Thursday night. You know that Jesus loves you in a, in a way that, that is factual. You've heard it. You've had people tell you it all this time. But there's no experience in it. For those of you who, who have felt the love of a child uh, or love for a child, you, you understand that you go from a moment where there was nothing to where there was something. I don't know about you, but when, when I found out that I was having children, all of a sudden inside of me sprang up this love for this person I had yet to meet that I did not know existed there. How, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you had sort of a similar experience? You knew you wanted children. You knew children were cool and they were a great tax exemption, but you just, you just didn't, you didn't know experientially and then and then one day you find out yes you are having a child and and it just awakens oh my gosh this this kid's gonna have my last name if it's a girl i gotta get a gun like there's there's a lot of lot of emotions that just take over when you know jesus you go from ah oh, jesus Oh, Jesus loves me. You see, if you've ever been like me and you've looked at those people and marveled at them as they as they raise their hands to Jesus, as they as they sing out the songs, like how do they know the words? Like you just wonder about them. You see them and they they just always seemingly are, are, are on fire for Jesus and love Jesus. Here's what I have found out: they have just come to a place where they realized a how much they needed Christ. And how deeply Christ wants them. Jesus loves you so much that he would endure hell for you. See, when my son was diagnosed with leukemia, and when you guys have gone through things that maybe your loved ones have gone through, I know from my cousin Teresa, when she's uh, been talking about her son Curtis, there's always, this, there's always this thought that comes to mind, I would take it for them. I would gladly take upon myself the illness that you are going through, the, the physical ailment that you're going through, the tragedy that has in, been inflicted upon you. I would take it. But we can't. We, we can't do that yet. And, and even if we could, what good does that do? Somebody still gets sick. Somebody still hurts. Jesus not only does that, but accomplishes reconciliation between us now when we stand before God in faith in Christ it's not like we're a cleaned up sinner we're a child of God as though we have never sinned we're not like that that white shirt that you bleached and bleached and bleached and you can still see the shadow of a stain we're like the brand new out of the package cotton wonderful soft shirt that comes out as soon as you purchase it without stain or blemish, perfectly white, not because of what we've done, in spite of what we've done, because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless Lamb of God. And so my challenge to you today and this Christmas and, and really for all of 2015 and, and for the rest of your life, will you put faith in Christ? Will you put your faith in Jesus? Not just that he exists, not just that he lived at some point, not just that he died at some point, but that he is your savior. That without him, you will go to hell. As needless as that might be, you will still go there based on that choice.
Faith is simply trust. Right now we are trusting a lot of different things. We're trusting that there's enough oxygen in this room for us to breathe. Right? I'm trusting this platform will support me. After the potluck, maybe not so much. We're trusting that our cars will start when we go outside. We're trusting that, that we will pay off December's bills in January. We're just trusting a lot of different things. Faith is trusting that what Jesus did on the cross indeed reconciles us. That's the challenge to you today. I can't make that choice for you. I'm not a salesman to, to spin it to make it seem really nice. I, I'm not going to do a bait and switch thing where, you know, come and give, you know, give God your life. I'll give you lots of stuff. Oops, just kidding. Like, not doing that. Today's your choice. What are you going to do? How do you, if Jesus were to stand before you today and say, do you believe that I am your savior? What would you say? And then how would you prove what you've just said? You prove it by living for him. You see, my choice to serve Christ is not to, to curry his favor. It's because I have his favor. And now I want to go do good stuff. I don't, in the same way that I don't love my children in hopes that maybe they'll love me, I know that they love me and I love them in return. I, love, I know my wife loves me and I love her and then I serve her and I give to her and I do what I can for her. And she does the same for me like by a thousand. I love Jesus because he first loved me. You will love Jesus because he first loved you. He's done everything. All you have to do now is trust. Let's stand. The Bible says, today is the day of your salvation. This is the Lord's day. Rejoice and be glad in it. Give your life to Christ today. How do I do that, Pastor Tony? I'm glad you asked. Here's what you do. You start off by acknowledging that Christ is indeed God. And then you repent of your sin. All that stuff I said about sin earlier was important because if you don't think you're a sinner, you don't think you need Jesus. Why would you? But if you'll be honest with yourself, look back upon your life, realize when you did this, when you did that, how small that was, how big that was, the things in your life, you might go and do them this afternoon. If your problem is with anger and later this afternoon you're driving and somebody makes you mad, that doesn't make you any less saved. We're going to start here today by giving our lives to Christ. And then he's going to sanctify us. Sanctification is much like somebody who works with metal, turning a, 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 this, this hunk of metal, putting it in a fire, pulling it out, hammering the snot out of it, looking at it, and putting it back into the fire. That will be our sanctification process from here on out. So that the anger gets hammered out. So that the lust gets hammered out. So that the, 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 the greed gets hammered out. The hatred gets hammered out. And that will happen from here till we meet Christ. So all you've got to do today is, is trust in Jesus, repent of your sins, and then you become a Christian. And the Bible says you are given this gift. Praise God that even on Christmas, God's given the gifts. It's his birthday, and we get the gifts. We get the Holy Spirit. Not, not a, a, a lesser God, not a demigod. God himself comes to dwell and reside in us to help us to fulfill what God has called us to do.
So I want to pray that for you today. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Jesus, happy birthday. I know it's not the actual day you were born, Lord. Uh, it's an issue of semantics. We, we, we take a day to dedicate your actual birth. We thank you that you indeed did come to this earth like a, like a missionary on a missions trip. You came from your place in heaven. You came to this earth to live a life that was very much unlike the life you had in heaven so that you might endure the hatred of men, that you might take upon yourself sin, that you might die to cleanse us of the sin that we have committed, that we are guilty of, that you had no hand in. But Jesus, you did more than just washes of our sins. You conquered death. So that one day, while these physical tarnished bodies might pass away, our spirit and who we are will be resurrected, brought back to live with you for all of eternity. And Father, I'm praying for people today that haven't made that commitment. That they'd give their lives to you today. That today would be the beginning of their life. That today would be the day where they understand the life that you have given is a life and a life more abundant. That you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. And this life that you have for us is not like the life that the world offers us. That we can now go out and enjoy. Once we know you, once our, our relationship is made right with you, we can enjoy the world unlike anybody else. We can enjoy our children and our spouses and our friends and our church in a way that is untarnished and unblemished because of what you have done. That we will no longer worship these things. We will simply worship you. And these things will remain things. But Jesus, I am fully aware that this work of salvation, this work of, of convincing and, and, and reassuring the heart of man is not my, is not my job. You have called me and us as a people to proclaim your word. And then you do all the rest. So, Father, where I have spoken into their ears, speak into their heart. May they experientially you know, feel you somehow, know you somehow. May there be confirmation or, or, or may they see the, the pieces falling into place in the whole course of their lives. And may they call upon your name. Your word says that no person who calls upon your name will ever be put to shame that you don't reject those who call your name you don't you don't make them call louder you don't make them dance around you simply answer them so we're going to do this real quick everybody close your eyes keep them closed here's what we're going to do me as a pastor I need to know where you're at. And some of you I won't see again until next Sunday. Some of you I might not see again until Easter. I hope that's not true. But I hope to see you each Sunday. But I won't, I won't know. I do this for, for me. I want to know today. Is today the day you made this choice? I'm not going to call you at 8 o'clock in the morning to find out where you're at and all this other business. I'm not going to track you on Facebook and things like that. I simply want to know today, did you give your life to Jesus? So, eyes closed for privacy and respect. Raise your hand today. If you have given your life to the Lord, re-given your life to the Lord, or something's happening today for you. That's awesome! Jesus, for those who raise their hands, Lord, they are yours. 
They are your children. The Bible says that when a, when a, when a person gives their life to you, there's a great celebration in heaven because, because one of your children have come home. And we have multiple children that have come home today, Lord. And I pray that this would be the beginning of something brand new, of, 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 of a greater joy than they've ever known, greater experience than they've ever experienced, that today life would become brand new for them. That, that, that life would not become pain-free because life has pain, but that every tear that is shed would have a purpose. For every broken heart, there would be a purpose. That you would begin to take those things that, that Satan and evil and that men had hoped to use for evil and use them for good. Continue to convict our hearts of our sin. That, that we might come to you in forgiveness and, and ask you, Lord, to liberate us from these things. And Jesus, you are good. You're way better than, than anybody else. You're way better than, 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 than we can even comprehend. So, Lord, we celebrate you today. We're going to go eat food now, Lord. We pray that you'd bless that food and bless this time of fellowship. I pray that as we have more questions that we'd ask them, that we'd sing songs and just worship you, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.